Well, good morning. I trust uh, you all had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, ours was pretty good. Uh, I was mentioning earlier uh, to someone that this was the first uh, Thanksgiving in, I think, four years my son hasn't had to eat at Bob Evans. So uh, it was nice to have the kids at home, uh, for my wife to cook the turkey, and for me to eat it. I love turkey. So, uh, But uh, looking forward to um, this Advent season. Uh, I love the decorations, don't you? Uh, get you in the in the mood for Christmas, and uh, today we're beginning a four-week sermon series called The Promise. It's an Advent sermon series, and for those of you who are new to Advent, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival, and Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time of celebration. And it's a time of hopeful expectation. It's designed to help us prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ, um, his first coming, but it's also designed to help us to think ahead to his second coming because we have that promise. Christ has already come the first time, 2,000 years ago, and the people of Israel waited and waited and waited for that to occur. And we've been waiting for 2,000 years for Jesus to come back. And um, I think he's coming back sooner rather than later. But nonetheless, regardless of when he returns, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the four themes or promises uh, of Advent. We're going to talk about hope and peace and joy and love. And, um, you know, maybe to, to start, we need to think about what exactly is a promise. Uh, a promise is something, uh, it's an assurance, it's a declaration, if you would, that you will do or not do a particular thing, or that something will occur. And we make promises all the time, don't we? That's the easy part. The hard part is keeping our promises. But, you know, God is not like us. God always keeps his promises. Every promise that he has made, he will bring to pass. We can have absolute confidence in the fact that when God says he's going to do something, he will do it. And the Bible is full of promises that God has made to his people. But during this Advent season, uh, we want to focus in on one particular promise, and that is the promise that God made to send a Savior to save us from our sins. So this Advent, we're going to take a look at four different individuals who uh, were among the first to see the fulfillment of God's promises to them. And in the book of Isaiah, God promised that light would one day enter into the world to dispel the darkness. And in Luke chapter 2, we actually see the fulfillment of that promise as an elderly man has an encounter with a baby. It's kind of an interesting concept. And he recognizes this little child as the fulfillment of God's promise to bring salvation to all people. 
Now, you have to remember, centuries have passed since God made many of these promises, many of which are found in the book of Isaiah. And for this elderly man, he's also come towards the the end of his own life, yet he had the audacity to hope that God would be faithful to his promises. And we, we need that kind of hope today. We need that kind of faith. You know, our world is in desperate need, in case you haven't noticed. If you turn on the news, you know full well what's going on in the world. The world seems to be spiraling out of control. From war in the Ukraine, uh, to rising tensions in the Pacific, to the moral decline of our country, to the economic turmoil we see ourselves in. But that's on a much bigger scale. You bring it home down to where you and I live and the issues and the things that that we face. Certainly, obviously, uh, putting food on the table and gas in your car is, is a big deal. But you may be also facing a serious health issue. You may have lost a job. It's a lousy time of year to lose a job. You may have lost a loved one recently. Maybe you feel like a failure as a husband or a wife or a parent. Perhaps you have unsaved loved ones and you're wondering, will they ever come to faith in Christ? And it may be that you just feel like you have no direction in life. You feel lost and you need hope. Well, I got good news for us. There is hope, and his name is Jesus. Do you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for your word to us and for this story that we're going to read. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would help us understand that you are the God of hope, and Lord, that we can trust you. Lord, speak through me this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, waiting is never easy. I don't, I don't know how you feel about it. I, I would say, I'm, maybe my wife would say, I'm not a very patient man. I don't like waiting. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I think most people don't like waiting. Um, I think of, I thought, of, I thought about our kids uh, on Christmas morning. I remember myself as a kid on Christmas morning. I could not wait to come downstairs and see the presents in front of the tree. So ask any child whether they like waiting, and I guarantee you they're going to say no. Ask any woman who's pregnant. (laughs) She's shaking her head right now, okay? You know, no. Um, You know, I'm excited about being a a grandfather myself, but um, March can't get here quick enough for me. I'm just dying to hold that little baby, you know, in my arms, you know. I, I, I think when it comes to uh, uh, even shopping, I mean, I, I, I despise going to stores, so I got Amazon Prime, right? Two-day delivery, which now feels like an eternity to me. Uh, you know, two days at first, it was so cool when it first came out, right? Two days, I get in two days, sure, sign me up. Now it's like, come on, I want that 
same hour kind of dig, you know, uh, you know where they have the, um, um, uh, the drones dropping off the packages. I want to see that. So, um, oh, and then another thing is, you know, waiting in, in a drive-thru at a fast food restaurant. Now, somebody needs to explain to them that this is a fast food restaurant, and this is a drive-thru, not a walk-thru, right? You know, I don't know about you, but over here at um, McDonald's, the line is always huge. I always park and go in. It's faster. So, but it's, I just don't like waiting. But you know what? Waiting is at the heart of Advent. See, sometimes we want to rush to get to Christmas, but really, there's joy in the journey. There's preparation that needs to be made. And I'm not talking about decorations and cooking. I'm talking about preparing our hearts. So this morning, I want to share with you a story about a man who learned how to wait in hope. Now, hope is a word that has been used uh, a lot during Christmas. Let me give you a few examples. Um, I hope it'll snow this Christmas. Now, some of you want to stone me right now, but um, that is one of the hopes that I have. Perhaps you have different hope. We hope that the whole family will be able to get together for Christmas, for the holidays. Some of us hope there will be no drama this Christmas. I knew that would resonate with some of you. I, I hope I will be able to do all the Christmas stuff I want to do. You know, my wife and I, we always think about, we hear about things, we go, let's do that, let's do, you know. And it's great plan to have, but it hardly ever comes to fruition. I hope I don't get another pair of socks, or I hope I can still fit into my clothes after the holidays are over. That, however, is not the biblical concept of hope. So the Apostle Peter writes in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look closely at this verse, you'll see that hope has as much to do with the present as it does with the future. Peter uses that phrase, preparing your minds for action. The King James Version, the New King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a, I'm, I'm gird, loins, Mind, how does that all work together? Well, you have to understand that in, in Jesus' day, in the ancient world, men would wear these long outer uh, tunics, clothing, and it would make it difficult for them to move quickly um, if they needed to. So they would actually reach down, grab the bottom of, of their outer garment, and they would bring it up and they would tuck it in their belt. And this would allow them to move much more quickly and freely. So this idea of girding up your loins means that you, you would actually um, be prepared. There, there's an action. You know, that's why he uses the word preparing your minds for action. So when you take that in, in, together with the fact that he says, prepare your minds for action and set your hope 
on the grace that will one day be revealed, what he's talking about here is an active hope, an active faith that somehow this thing for which we hope is impacting us in the here and now. We must prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control. And that's really my first point this morning, is that real hope is the certainty about the future that impacts the present. Certainty about the future that impacts the present. You see, hope, real hope, is not wishful thinking. It's not blind optimism. Our hope is rooted in history. It's rooted in the faithfulness of God. When we look at the birth of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, these, these are all historic events, historical events. They were all foretold hundreds of years before they ever came to pass. And yet God brought every single one of these things to pass. Real hope is about living now in light of God's future promises. And when you read the Christmas story, almost every character, almost every character, you, you see are, are people who are filled with hope concerning the future promises of God. They, they dare to believe that God will do what he says he's going to do. And one of those promises comes from the book of Isaiah, where we read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. See, the Old Testament contains many promises or prophecies uh, concerning Jesus, including this one. That in a world full of darkness, light would come. And it would illuminate everything. It would dispel the darkness. It would reveal the sin within people's hearts. And this promise was there to help sustain people during a very difficult and dark time in their own lives. If you remember, the nation of Israel was taken off into captivity because of their sin. And the man Simeon, in our story this morning is truly a, a wonderful Advent character. Because when you look at his life, you see that he's a perfect example of somebody who oriented his entire life around the promises of God. And, and, and I know that that's, that's so foreign to many people. You know, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took uh, Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord and to make their offerings as was the custom uh, once uh, you gave birth to a child. And when they arrived there, Simeon just happened to be there. Just happened to be there. And well, we know that that's not true. Let's take a look at the story. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. If not, I'll have it up on the screen. Starting in verse 25... Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ.' 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, as we look at this text, we're not told explicitly that Simeon was an old man, um, but we are told that he was promised that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, until he saw the Messiah in the flesh. So most likely, he was advanced in years. And Simeon was keenly aware of Israel's rebellion. Um, God had judged them many times. He had warned them. And yet they refused to obey. And so God used godless nations like the Babylonians, the Babylonian Empire, the, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and now even the Roman Empire to inflict his judgment upon them. But this is where it gets so, so interesting, so cool. Because despite all of that, despite the amount of time that has passed, and, and he's living in a day and an age where Rome is occupying his home. They are not allowed to rule themselves like they once did. They are subject to foreign powers and he is nearing the end of his own life, and yet he has the audacity to hope that God is going to keep his word. He believed that the Christ was coming. And now he's standing in the temple, and, and God gives to him even more than what he had promised him. Simon not only, Simeon not only got a chance to see God's salvation, he got to hold it. He got to hold this little baby who he knew was God's salvation. I, I don't know if you can imagine that. But you spend your entire life waiting for the day that the Messiah would arrive. And, and here, near the end of your life, you meet him. You see him. You get to hold him. What joy must have filled his heart. And then he prays that beautiful prayer in verses 29 through 32. You see, real hope is a certainty about the future that impacts the present. He prepared himself for this day not knowing that he would ever see it until he was told that he would see it, and then he believed it. 
It's, it's a certainty about the future that impacts the present, but it's birthed out of deep longings and, and genuine need, deep need. Luke tells us that Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Now, this word consolation means encouragement or comfort. But when it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, he's not saying he was waiting for God to give him a pat on the back. He wasn't waiting for some personal word from God that would encourage him in his old age. Actually, the word here is a reference to Jesus. It's a title for Jesus. Jew, uh, um, Luke also um, speaks of, of consolation in the sense that in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that one day the Messiah would come and he would comfort his people. He would come to comfort his people, but how would the Messiah do that? He just doesn't come and, you know, and, you know, again, rub him on the back and tell him, hey, it's going to be okay. It's gonna be... No, he's going to comfort his people by dealing with their sin. He's going to reveal to them the darkness in their own hearts. He's going to die on a cross and shed his blood so that their sin can be forgiven. See, Jesus didn't come to free them from the tyranny of, of political oppression. He came to free them from the tyranny of their own sin. And Jesus comforts all who will turn from their sin and trust in him. The word that Luke uses for waiting in this passage is the Greek word prostekomai. It means to accept or to receive or to welcome. It carries the idea of looking forward to something occurring or happening or the arrival of something or someone. And just as Simeon awaited actively for the first advent of Jesus, we have to await actively for Jesus' second advent, for his second coming. And this is not... This is not an easy thing to do. Christians for hundreds of years have struggled with this. Why? Because in the passage of time, we wonder, we doubt. God, are you really coming back? In fact, Peter wrote about this to encourage believers to maintain their hope in his second epistle where he reads, he wrote this. He says, but do not forget this one thing. And this is only a part of it. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise about his return, as some understand slowness, but he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants his heaven full. He will return one day. We don't know when. We may not be here then, but he's coming back. And like Simeon, our greatest need is for redemption. That's our greatest need. 
But our greatest longing ought to be for Christ to come back and take us home to be with him. And as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ, let us also eagerly await his glorious return. I like um, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. When you sense that Jesus is coming back, and it could be this afternoon, it could be tomorrow, it, it's the imminent return of Christ. When you live in light of that reality, it changes everything. It changes your perspective on life, how you live your life, what your priorities are in life. Hope is birthed out of deep longing and desperate need, but real hope is only found in Jesus Christ. There are several passages in the New Testament that I could turn to um, to illustrate this, but, but I think what Paul wrote to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, it's in one verse, but it's just so clear. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God and our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Did you catch that last part? Christ Jesus our hope. You see, genuine hope is not found in a 401k. It's not found in a paycheck. It's not found in our accomplishments. It's not found in wealth, success, or even earthly relationships, though so often we pursue those things in the hopes that they will satisfy, in the hopes that they will deliver. But real hope is only found in Christ. And, and may I add one more thing too? Real hope, genuine hope, is not found in presidents or political parties. It's only found in Christ. It's a sad fact that most of the Jews did not recognize Jesus when he came. Even though they had the Old Testament, they had these prophecies, the same ones that Simeon was familiar with, but they failed to recognize their Messiah. So how did Simeon recognize him and everybody else seemed to miss him? He, he knew he was the promised one, sent to bring hope and peace and joy and love. How did he get it right when so many people got it wrong? Well, I think, first of all, he really knew the word. He was really a man of the word. He, he understood the Old Testament prophecies, and he believed them. But I also think it was because most of the people were looking for a political savior and a warrior king, not a suffering servant. They didn't expect a baby. Even though Isaiah spoke of the Messiah as a suffering servant, that was not palatable to them. They couldn't wrap their mind around it. 
They wanted a king who would deliver them from the Romans, that would, would kick them out of their land and then reestablish their nation uh, on the world stage. And, and when that didn't happen, they crucified their king. You know, it's not really any different today. Most people are not looking for a savior. Most people are not looking for a God to love and to serve. Most people are looking for a divine Santa Claus who will give them everything that they want or a genie who will grant them all their wishes. They are not looking to submit themselves to a creator God who has a specific will for their lives. Simeon looked to the one true and living God. He put his faith and his trust and his hope in him and in the promises that he has made. So let me ask you, where have you placed your hope? As we enter into this wonderful time of year, where is your hope truly? Is your hope based on something you want God to do for you or is it based in God himself? Paul writes in 1 Timothy, For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. That's where our hope needs to be, set on the living God. Then again in Colossians he writes to them, speaking of the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, it's one thing to acknowledge Christ as your only hope. It's another thing for him to be living in you. You see, we can assent intellectually anyway that Jesus is the Son of God that he is the Messiah, that we ought to place our, our faith and our trust and our hope in him. But until we do that, it avails us nothing. We have to repent of our sins and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then when he comes into your life, as Paul says here, this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is real hope, and his name is Jesus. As I get ready to conclude this morning, I think it's worth noting that Simeon only had Old Testament. He only had the Old Testament. But he knew it well enough to know that God was going to send a deliverer. He knew enough to be able to recognize Jesus as God's salvation. Now, I know he had a little extra help, I think, there when the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. But here's the, here's the amazing thing is many people saw Jesus and heard Jesus as a full-grown man and still did not recognize him as God's salvation. Do you? Have you? Christmas is a wonderful time of year, but it's also a dangerous time. 
It is so easy to miss Jesus amidst the hustle and the bustle of the season. We can get so caught up in, in, in shopping and gift giving and decorating and traveling to see musicals and going to the movies and family get-togethers that we can miss Jesus even as we say we're getting ready to celebrate his birth. So I want to challenge you this morning, and I want to challenge you this Advent season to spend at least as much time preparing your heart for Christ this Christmas as much as you spend time shopping and decorating and watching football. If you're not yet a, a sold-out follower of Christ this morning, I urge you, give Him your heart. I can think of no greater gift to give Jesus on His birthday than your heart, your very life. Surrender to Him. Tell Him what He already knows that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that you're willing to bend your knee to Him this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. And if you do that and you mean that, He will come in and the hope of glory will be with you forever. If you already have trusted in Christ, um, you already have the greatest gift you're ever going to get in Jesus. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's my hope that we will all learn to be like Simeon, to live holy, God-centered lives for His glory, even as we eagerly and actively await His second coming. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for our time together here this morning and for this simple message that comes from this simple man who dared to believe that you would keep your promises. And Lord, I don't know all the things that um, everyone here is facing this morning and those who are watching online, but Lord, I know that we all have deep needs, the deepest of which, of course, is for your salvation, for you, for your blood to cover our sins, to wash them away that we might become new creatures, that we might be brought into your forever family. But Lord, I know there are many other needs that are represented here, and I pray that as we celebrate this season, that we would turn our gaze upon you, that we would look to you as our only hope, and that our hearts would be prepared to celebrate not only your first advent, but the fact that your word is true, and one day you will return to take us home to be with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.